Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. almost seven years now and there's just been such a huge shift in this kind of stuff and it's been really mm-hmm. exciting to see i just hope that it makes a bigger difference quicker just because i said you know it's just because covid happened doesn't mean that the opioid epidemic hasn't gone away it's gotten no, worse it's definitely gotten worse yeah and so i feel like right now we're really pushing really hard to do what we can to kind of bring attention back to that to kind of show you know here this, there's still a whole lot of danger and a whole lot of crazy stuff happening so what can we do as a sector and as a field and as an agency as individual people to just kind of make those differences right now because there's so much to do Good day, everybody. And today's guest, who you just heard from briefly, is Ed Sishan. He's a director of marketing and communications at Casanova Recovery Systems. I will leave all their info below if you'd like to get in touch with them and or call somebody there, you can do that. And we really have an awesome conversation around language. This has been a topic that's come up a few times throughout the last couple of years on the podcast, and it's still a powerful one that I think we need to all pay attention to and start being more aware of because it's so easy to forget how powerful language can be, how much meaning it can carry, how much weight it can put on a person. So we need to start becoming more aware of that. And I think it's always a good reminder to have a conversation around it. So there you go. It's happening. Other than that, I don't think I have much news for you other than still working on gathering all the information and getting everything together for the t-shirts for round one of those. Um, Lots of other things happening that I'm planning for 2021. I think I'm having an identity crisis. That's about it. But (laughs) anyways, I love you guys. Your support always means the world to me. So if you're listening to this, thank you very, very much. I'm extremely grateful for the constant support this community has shown me and even beyond the community. All right, guys, I love you. Peace later. Enjoy your day and make sure you stay positive. All right. Bye. Yeah, this building is awesome. This is the Tri-Main building. What was this building before? Just like industrial stuff? Oh man, I just, I think I found this out recently. I think this might, and don't quote me on this at all. Uh, I think it used to be all industrial stuff. I think part of it was a Trico Okay. Okay. So, and I just found out this recently too, yesterday evening actually, um, the Oshai Foundation, which is funds like Children's Hospital, a whole bunch of other stuff in the area. The founder of the Oshai Foundation, apparently the story is he hit somebody with his car way back in like early 1900s or whatever, and then realized that, you know, he needs to be able to see in the rain. Uh, and so invented windshield wipers. Oh, and that's where right. he got it. And this whole used to be, I think this was one of the factories, I think. Nice. If you take the stairs down or the elevator down, there's like a little expo- explanatory it thing. It tells you what the building was yeah, all about. Yeah, I think that's okay. what it was. Yeah, I think that's what it was. So it's all like factory stuff that's all been converted to offices and things <laughs> like that. A kid sense. died for this building. I saw so it was like really weird to me that this dude founded a foundation based on somebody's like death. But apparently the person that got hit by the car wasn't, it wasn't that bad. So he, I guess, barely any injuries, which is good. Because I was worried about that too. <laughs> I was like, that seems weird <laughs> How, What to happened me. to the kid? Exactly. Uh, he, he died, but this building's here. Exactly. <laughs> weird legacy. But I guess the person was fine. I just thought it was a very strange connection. Yeah, that is strange. Yeah. That is super strange.
So uh, pronounce your last name again for me. Seashan. Seashan. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got to remember. I got on recording now, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. But. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pronounce it. And what is your um, position here at Kazi Recovery? Uh, Director of Marketing and Communications. All right. Cool. And what does that entail? I find the more I am working and getting to know treatment providers, your role or a role title similar to that is kind of very vague in meaning. It means you do a lot of tons of other things. Yep. 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 As opposed to what it sounds like. That's, That's what true. I have discussed. So it's interesting just because there isn't a whole lot of need for marketing for our services because our services are so in need um, that it's mostly just kind of getting communication out about stuff like this, talking about what treatment is like for people, telling stories about people in recovery, talking about different providers in the area, that kind of stuff. A lot of it's grand focus. Mm -hmm. And then my big focus for the last couple of years has been really focused on advocacy. Uh, And so talking to state and local legislators about uh, concerns that the field has, really focusing on making sure that they're accountable to what we're trying to ask them to do. Uh, That's been really, really interesting and crazy. That's been my entire last six months has just been advocacy because of all the COVID stuff. It's just been bananas, but it's it's really helpful. And it's cool to kind of see that stuff really make a difference. We were faced with that. I don't know if you heard about the whole cuts thing coming out of Oasis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And so we, like all the providers were part of ASAP, which is, I don't know what it stands for anymore. They changed their name, but it was the alcoholism and substance abuse. No, no, no. It was providers um, maybe. Yeah. What the heck was that? Whatever. Some sort of association. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's an association that we're all a part of. And most, I think most, if not all of the local, like the big agencies and stuff are a part of it too. And we all kind of circled the wagons together with providers across the state. Did a whole bunch of media outreach the last few weeks. I've been on channel two a couple of times talking about this stuff. And yeah, I've seen some of those videos. Yeah, Yeah. And they've been helpful. And then we got the withhold, which is what they're calling it, or the cut reduced to 20%, which isn't great, but at least it's progress. better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I think like we're really trying really hard these last few months to really put a focus on how needed our services are in the face of all this stuff that's happening. Cause you know, this is going to be around for a while. There's a whole bunch of issues tied right in with COVID that mm-hmm. impact people with substance use disorders, makes life that much more challenging. And we want to make sure that our services can still be accessed down the road by people who need it. So it's been a huge, huge project for the last few months, but it's been cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to kind of, I'm interested when you said, but I know we're, we're going to go down and talk about language and that's something I want to make sure we talk about because that's kind of a key thing and that's a fun topic I enjoy as well. I also like, I think, I feel like there is what's a lot of missing from this kind of this area and these treatment providers is I feel like we need more of that raw, authentic connection over social media and video and YouTube and like vlogging. And like I always picture, for instance, I always use Horizon as an example, like Anne Constantino. Like if you could, if you were somebody at Terrace House, their little 20-day, 30, 28-day program, and you can get on and see like a day, you know, what Anne Constantino does or, you know, her points of views and her beliefs and get to really know them. I feel like we need more of that. And I feel like that's such a lacking and obviously comes down to money. So what do you cut first? The guy who's doing YouTube videos, you know, because everything else, obviously you need to do. So there's obviously the money issue there, but I just feel like that's such a big piece that is missing out of um, like the marketing stuff and the, you know, the branding, like there's not much of that going on. There's, I I think it's turning a corner, which is good. I think a lot of the focus, like my focus for the last couple of years uh, has been storytelling, just really kind Mm -hmm. of explaining what it's like to have a substance use disorder in Western New York and what that's like, you know, is there hope? Can there hope, can hope be found and all that kind of stuff. And of course it can be, um, People can, you know, once they start accessing treatment and services, you can do all sorts of wonderful, fantastic things. Um, and so it's just telling those kinds of stories, but also recognizing the challenges I think that a lot of people experience. It's interesting though. I don't like we tell mostly uplifting stories about the administrative stuff, but you know, there is a lot of challenges that I think providers mm-hmm. sector wide right now are experiencing that we're not necessarily too talkative about that because there's just so much happening right now. Um, but I think having more of a focus on that and just talking to, you know, different 
people throughout the sector to kind of say, what's it like? What are you experiencing? What are your stresses? Would be helpful because I think we're all just like trying to just get through what we can day to day because mm -hmm. it's so intense. Well, and then, yeah, again, you need to go back to, oh, we're going to cut 30% of your funds. You know, what the hell is that? So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, been... <laughs> yeah, it's all around so many challenges. And I guess that's kind of where my passion and heart is, is that storytelling, is that connecting with people. And I don't know, I'm going to figure out a way. This is kind of like my super long-term kind of goal is to position in a way, find a way. I don't even know if there's a way to get money for it. Even, I don't know if I'd have to go nonprofit, but where I can work with companies to extend that part of the business. Yeah, it's a really good idea. And I think that's such a need. Yeah. Um, there's been, so we, I applied for a grant-ish, like a capacity building initiative is what they called it through mm -hmm. a couple of local foundations. Um, it was called Story Growing Western New York. And that was really extremely helpful for my work just because I yeah. was able to kind of like learn all these different things. A lot of it was marketing focused, but the whole point was to really figure out how to tell, develop and use stories in ways that, you know, make a difference for our field. Um, and so it's not just like substance use or human services. It's all sorts of nonprofits throughout Western okay. New York. Okay. But it's something at least look into to yeah. kind of like it was great i loved it it was so cool i think they're on round two maybe three now all right uh, but we were part of the first round and it was super super helpful very cool oh what was it called again uh story growing western new york story growing. oh yeah I and it's based on some guy named i think his name is john goodman i forgot what the whole origin story is but he's this guy who used to work in hollywood i think he actually worked for dinosaurs like the tv show way back in the 80s oh my gosh i remember that maybe show. i could be that might be wrong might have been dinosaurs or the nanny i forgot which <laughs> but he, he either was a, one those yeah. were those were both both terrible in a good way. Exactly. Shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then like he got his like teeth cut in Hollywood, I think, and then realized how important stories are for nonprofits. And then kind of like yeah. develop this whole initiative throughout the country, and everyone kind of follows it along. So it's it's that. pretty good stuff. It's really helpful. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, we're just so story. You can never go wrong with it. Yep. Absolutely. You learn how to tell a story, right? I think it's an art form. I think it takes a lot to master it, but it's um you can do a lot of things with it. It's yep. powerful. True. Which is awesome. So moving on. Anyway, that's just kind of a tidbit. That's kind of where I'm at. Let's talk about language because I feel like we kind of talked a little bit on the phone about it. I don't even know how long ago that was, a month or so. And it is something I think that is super pressing. I think it, you know, it causes so much with labels and, you know, weight. And so I like, I want to kind of like take it from the beginning. And I, obviously I'm going to use a little bit of my journey, you know, as kind of example. So I remember walking in, I remember the first time I said, I'm an addict, you know, that whole identify with it, call it out, name it. What's the issue? Here it is. Okay, now I can fix it. And then moving forward, it became less and less appealing to me to keep calling myself an addict. And I started feeling that, like, why am I just identifying with this one word? And I think words, these simple mouth noises that we make, can carry so much power with them. As we were just talking about stories, carry so much power with them and can really destroy or uplift a human being. And so there obviously needs to be some change with that. Where, I mean, where do you see things going? Where do you, where do you think things are at? What's your opinion on it? You know, where, where do you see? Ooh, that's What's a, your vision? That's a, a big first question. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it's interesting. Um, one of my favorite stories that I like to tell actually is right before we really started focusing on this and ironically kind of out of that whole story growing Western New York thing, one of the things that I wanted to focus on was changing this language. This is really a direct outcome of that capacity building okay. initiative, which we had. And before, like I knew I wanted to really focus on this for the next couple of years to help change the way that people perceive uh, people in our programs. And before I really kind of like took off on that on like a public facing kind of streak. I was talking about it internally with staff members here and uh, with some of our executive team and stuff. So it hadn't really spread out to um, the residents in our programs or people like outside of our network. And I was interviewing one of our residents to tell her story at our program, Casa de Vida, which is uh, on the West Side and it's for women. Yep. She told me like just straight up, she was like, I don't identify as an addict because to me, addicts don't deserve help, love, hope, or treatment. 
And she's like, they don't deserve second chances. Society doesn't see them as somebody who deserves anything helpful. They just have to kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And that's why she identifies as a person with a substance use disorder. And I thought that her story frames it perfectly because it really shows that there's a whole lot of perception and stigma. Stigmas, I'm sure we're going to be talking about for a long time in the next few yep. minutes. That's the biggest issue. Uh, and I think as long as you kind of recognize that, I think people are starting to make that change happen because stigma holds back so much. And I think it really changes people's perception of themselves. It changes people's perceptions of others. And if you can start to work through that and help to change that, and I think language can do that in a lot of ways. I'm a giant language nerd. I'm the same kind of like, same kind of idea to you, but these are just weird words that we use, but because we've kind of been ingrained to use them for so long, we haven't really sat back and thought about what it kind of means to use them, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so to focus on how to change that is really important. And I think that's where we're going to kind of answer your question about where are we and where are we going? I think right now, the field in particular is really focusing on adapting to and recognizing the importance of the medical model of substance use disorders, which is important. And because of that, that's why I think a lot of this language change is happening so quickly. Yeah. So it's less about, you know, a quote unquote moral failing of addiction and more about recognizing that it's a disorder, it's a disease, it's diagnosable. And if that's the case, it's also treatable. And if it's treatable, that means that there's a whole lot of options that you can pursue to kind of get better. Because that really is ingrained in a lot of providers specifically it's right really now. It's really starting to take root. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's the big change. And that's where I think, you know, all this stuff is kind of like rolling downhill from that. And I think going forward, it's going to be even more important to kind of sit with that and recognize what that means as a field. But I think it can only be good if we're starting to kind of recognize how to treat this in more effective ways. And I think clearly that's like what's happening with medication assisted treatment. Outcomes are better. It makes a huge difference in so many people's lives and there's a lot of really good stuff happening. And so I think as long as we kind of work with that and figure out ways to incorporate that into what we do, it'll make a huge difference. Yeah, there definitely has been big steps over a short period, which is somewhat encouraging. But then there's also like, I think a lot of times too, just medicalizing anything sometimes pushes it right into a stigmatized realm in and of itself. And that's kind of a difficult thing to break as well. And that you go in even more into mental health, whether it's you know schizophrenia and so many, I mean, so many people you talk to have this cliche, generic kind of when they think of schizophrenia, somebody who's dangerous and who sees people. And there's just so many different spots on that spectrum that are different. And we just kind of, you know, that stigma just sitting on us, even yep. without thinking it, like you can be the most incredibly generous, loving human being and still you know, habitually stigmatize people because of their mental health or their substance use. And I think it's really important that we kind of move. But again, it's hard to get back because once it's medicalized, it's like has this weight that comes along with it. Yeah, so there's definitely pros and cons to the whole medicalization of the field. Um, obviously, it makes a big difference in terms of ways to treat it, but it does come with a potential risk of a whole bunch of other stuff, too. And I think that's definitely something that we're going to have to work with and just kind of be mindful yeah. of as we go forward. Because, yeah, there's certain, like, especially with, like, mental health and stuff, it can be a bit challenging at times. And there's stigma even within medical providers. There's also a really interesting study. I forgot where it came from in terms of, like, what college and stuff. But it worked out so that anybody who they essentially gave medical providers and clinicians, I believe, two paragraphs to read. One okay. of which was, read this paragraph, it talked about somebody with who was an addict, who was a substance abuser, is I think the term they actually okay. used. And the other one was a person with a substance use disorder or something along those lines. And even in clinicians and medical providers who saw substance abuser, they thought that person should have more punitive things coming to them than the other, the uh, other. paragraph. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And so even within people who work in the field. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So language can make a huge, huge difference. So I think that's why we're trying to promote this as much as possible. It is. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He's an author, um, but he, I just remember reading one of his books. I don't even remember when it was. This was probably 10 years ago. And he said like, you know, the world is made of language. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just such a, and it's so funny because this came up in the last podcast I did as well, but it's crazy that everything literally is kind of like exists because we have a name for it. Yep. Yep. And it's super weird mm-hmm. when you think about that, but it also really gets you to realize the power of what language really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like that's just because of that, it gives you, it gives me a little bit of hope to know that this stuff can change pretty yeah. quickly. One of the success stories that I look to in a lot of ways to kind of give our staff members hope and encouragement is to kind of show that, you know, people with disabilities have really come leaps and bounds over the last 10, 15 years. Compared to prior. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And a lot of that, not necessarily all of it, but a lot of it is because of language change. So they really focus on the whole person first thing. They change the office from Office of Mental Retardation to Office of People with Disabilities. They changed like the way the handicap logo is because the person is now moving themselves like in mobile, like in a mobile forward kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, And now you've got like people with Down syndrome walking down catwalks and stuff. They use as models and Target with all that kind of uh, sort of fun thing. And so just that small change has led to a huge shift societally about how people perceive people with disabilities. And I think, like I said, it wasn't a lot of it comes from the really intense and positive advocacy of people with disabilities, their advocates like their parents and family members and that kind of stuff, too, and their uh, care providers. But language made a huge part of that, too. Um, And so I tell that to our staff members that, you know, we've got a long way to go because they've been at this for almost two decades now. But it shows that stuff can and will eventually change Change. if we just kind of do what we have to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, the struggle comes from moving the, the substance use out of the criminal justice system. True. Because that comes along with it. You have even a bigger mountain to climb as opposed to, you know, somebody who is struggling with bipolar. Yep. And, you know, I think that's a big piece of it. I mean, and there's still, I mean, there's still a huge chunk of this country that, and I'm not going to go into politics but there's a huge chunk of this country who still tough on crime, you know, do that. And we can even take, we could ever take that whole conversation mm-hmm. and even dive deep outside of the substance use and what locking somebody up and how that does absolutely nothing. But again, we won't go down that way. But yeah, just the, if the more that everything can come out of the criminal justice system, the more things can be eased up. I think that's going to help with the stigma as well. I think that's changing too, which is promising. So a lot of local providers have partnerships. I know we have a really good relationship with criminal justice networks and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's really good progress coming out of the opiate court in Buffalo and the drug court and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think it's it's changing. That another is going to be one of those things that just takes some time to kind of evolve, I think. But at least there's promising glimmers of hope that kind of show that this stuff can be changed. The perception can be changed. And I know that even like the Erie County Opiate Task Force has done a really good job with pairing up the police departments with, you know, uh, I think they're called angels or things along those lines. I forgot what it was. But there's some specific program where police officers have access to clinicians and peer supports and things like that. Yep. So if they encounter somebody who has overdosed, they can just call these people to kind of help them help out with the person who's overdosed to kind of get them some support. So I think that's changing. It's going to be one of those things, again, like a lot of the stuff is just small steps to kind of evolve the way things work. Yeah. Um, I just hope we get there sooner than later for obvious reasons because people are dying every day and the the longer it kind of takes to change this stuff, the more people will lose, unfortunately. So no, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I know. I just did a podcast with people at Endeavor, but they got a program where they're in the cheek to walk the police. And I think they just moved in the Buffalo police. So, you know, that's, that stuff's good to hear. I actually, I did a podcast with John Flynn, the district attorney, and even he talked about it. He's just like, so many people want that. I'm going to be tough on crime attitude still. And it's just like, I mean, how long can we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and watch it not work and still cheer for it? Like it's been working. True. And it's, (laughs) it's been, it's also interesting just to kind of see how much of this 
has roots in the whole deinstitutionalization movement of like the 50s yeah. and the 60s. Just because like everyone was like, yeah, that's great. Let's, you know, take everybody who has all these diagnoses and stuff and put them back into the community, which should have happened. Absolutely. But there just weren't supports done or there was a whole lot of stigmatization that happened right afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is a huge part of it, too. We're really just having to reckon with how to make that work properly as a society. So again, we're getting there, but there's just all the stigma that's been there for decades and decades that we just haven't really dealt with. But I think the more stories that we tell to kind of go back to that, the more people understand that this is a treatable condition, I think the better it'll get. I just hope that, you know, it goes back to the language in a lot of ways where I think people really have to be. You have to be able to believe you can get better. If that, you go, if you head into it and have this stigma that you're screwed for the rest of your life, true. I mean, why even bother? Yep. I think part of it too, and like this is a really controversial topic to talk about, but there's always been that need for anonymity, I think in our field, which yeah. makes sense and absolutely should have been for a long, long time just because there is so much stigma associated with it. But the more that people open up about it, I think the quicker this change will happen. That's going to be the tough thing. That is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't even think about that because that's a huge piece of it. Yep. I mean, I've done some because AA wasn't my thing in recovery. It didn't do it for me. I've gone to plenty of meetings because I've had buddies that it, it, they've liked it. And, I, you know, I've, so I've obviously I've gone to a bunch of them, but it's never been my thing. It wasn't my cup of tea. But, I, you know, I've done some podcasts with people from, you know, the anonymous groups. And it's just, you know, don't use your last name. But to me, it's like, why wouldn't you want people? I, obviously, I know why people don't. But I think the more you can do that, the more you can help people. Like, yeah. oh, this person was able to stay. They struggled with this and that. Awesome. Back to stories. Once again, everything always circles back to that. That's, <laughs> that's the tough thing, though. I feel like there is so much stigma. It's going to be that a really tight balancing act for, I yeah. think, a few years where everyone kind of like, what do we do here? But the more stories get, get told, again, I think the quicker this will change. Uh, and so I'm hopeful that, I, and everyone has, you know, one of the things that I tell people and our staff members and the people in our programs is that you have the choice to make however, call yourself whatever you want to. If you identify as an addict and you know, you're really into the whole AA and self-help stuff and that helps you, stick with that. Do what you have to do and make that choice for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you feel empowered to kind of like tell your story, to be more open about it, to help with this idea that we're trying to talk about changing things, feel free to do that too. There's uh, a whole bunch of other options and there's a bunch of pathways here that I think people can kind of take down. Maybe before it was just one specific pathway that everyone followed at the same time. And yep. now that I think there's a whole bunch of options here, which is probably better because people have choices to talk about their diagnosis um, and they have choices to talk about their experience and things like that, where they might not have had that choice before. That's definitely important. Where, where have you found things going? Is it just as simple as the more we talk about, the more awareness comes? Or like what kind of programs or what kind of ways have you guys at CAS tried to like really push this language thing out? It's been, I actually just went to a couple of our programs this now I guess it's September now, but last month I went to a couple of programs to kind of talk about this language change because we've been doing it for about a year, a little bit over a year now. Okay. To kind of see how the progress has been happening. And it's kind of as I was expected. A lot of the tension comes from the self-help stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people identifying with terms like addict and clean time and that kind of stuff, which is totally fine. Like everyone can make that choice for themselves again, but there's people who have been around for so long and that's worked so well for them that we don't want to change that for them. But those, that language is still very embedded in the field that everyone kind of adopts it really quickly. And so we're trying to make that change, but that's going to be a bit of a tough catwalk mm -hmm. to walk for a little while, I think. I think people who are new to the field and who might not necessarily have a whole lot of interaction with those kinds of things are going to have an easier time of changing the language and adopting the stuff. I know that like a, a lot of the, we actually hold, um, I give this presentation to our staff members when they start at orientation at our agency to just kind of say, here's what we're talking about when we talk about language change. We're trying to incorporate this throughout the agency and people who are like right out of college and stuff or are new to the field, no problem. Super easy. It's the people who've been around for a while that, that we have really good conversations about this. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, this is tough and it's super tough, but we'll get there. It's just that it's going to take some, I think, a lot of 
attention to mindfulness, I think. And then one thing too that I really focus on just because of my background in uh, marketing and communications is my hope is to really change the way that this stuff is covered in the media locally. Uh, and I think that is changing, mm -hmm. which really gives me a lot of hope. Three, four years ago at the height of the epidemic, the pandemic and stuff with overdoses and things, it was all sorts of negative stuff in the press. There wasn't a whole lot of positive stories to be told. And it was, you know, addiction left and right. You know, the background footage was always, you know, pills and needles and spoons and that kind of stuff. And it looked terrible. And my worry, which I think was kind of well-founded was that if people see that kind of stuff on TV through the media and they might have an issue at home, like they might be using those kinds of things. They might see that and say, oh, I'm not that kind of person. I don't have that bad of a deal. I don't need to go get help or treatment when they could have accessed, you know, fentanyl in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Those things might've gotten pretty quick for them. So my worry was, you know, I think it was well-founded in the sense that if the media doesn't change its perception too, and it's the way that it covers things things are going to get worse. And luckily, I think they've changed their attitude a little bit. Uh, whenever I reach out to the local reporters and things like that, they're really supportive for the most part. And then the two couple of times that I've been featured on Channel 2 in the last couple of months talking about all the cuts and the rise in overdoses, unfortunately, they've been really good about talking about recovery services and how to kind of get help and that kind of stuff. So I think that's a big focus that I think is changing too. So that's promising to kind of see some of that stuff happening mm -hmm. culturally, locally. And I think that's kind of, that's an important step that I think we're taking now, which is good too. Yeah, I think that needs to be out in the media De definitely more and once again bringing the the story word back into it more stories on there of success success i can't talk success stories i'll edit that blabbing part out <laughs> but i think we need more of it because that's what i mean people don't realize how many people have gone into recovery and have been successful too absolutely and i think like one of the ways that i talk to media about this when i get the chance to it is to kind of say think about this in many ways like diabetes it's a uh, often kind of precursor precursor that's not the right word it's often predicted by genetics it's often it comes about due to risky or unhealthy lifestyle situations so like bad eating risky use of drugs those kinds of things and then once you have the diagnosis you have it for life, but it's also treatable through medication. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar to diabetes in a lot of ways. And then once you have the diagnosis, you also have to make some changes to help manage that, which is that's kind of how this works. And so I think, you know, people with diabetes for a lot of good reason have celebratory situations. You know, they get a lot of support and like that through their family members and that kind of stuff. There's lots of, you know, diabetes walks and those kinds of things mm -hmm. too. And I think that's changing with substance use disorders slowly but surely. But I think as long as people kind of recognize that, you know, there's two very similar diagnoses here. One just has a whole lot of stigma attached to it because of the specific thing that's involved. Yep. Um, and the other one doesn't have that at all. So I think that, I think we're getting there. And I think once people kind of see that distinction too, that helps out a little bit too, just to kind of frame that in a different way. Yeah, that's kind of, I think one of the one of the biggest challenges of getting this all kind of where we want it or what, not that it's ever going to be right where we want it. But I think that's one of the biggest challenges is being able to reach and kind of connect with everybody that has this belief of criminal, bad, you're a piece of crap, garbage. And I mean, if people only knew what went on like I always explain to people I try to if people know like any kind of comic book stuff venom and I always talk to you like addiction is another or substance use I should say is another <laughs> as we're just talking about language is another like entity inside of you almost like I remember going down walking down to my girlfriend's house it was like a seven blocks and I was going in there to steal stuff from her at the pond because I was starting to get sick and I remember crying the whole walk yelling at myself not to do it I can't do this I shouldn't do this and you know you end up good and then you have this other voice but you have to you're getting sick you blah 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 and it, like people only could experience that just for a moment I feel like all the that you're a piece of crap thing would go away I've never stolen anything in my entire life except in my I mean maybe when I was like seven or eight I remember stealing gum from the corner store or something but you know I've never stolen anything other than when I was in my 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 struggle with heroin yep. and if people only could kind of experience that 
And I think even my family, like they, you know, even my girlfriend who has stuck with me through all this knows who I am as an individual. And the more people that I got to know and got to, you know, just even see, even if they weren't my best friend, but just so many awesome, beautiful people I have met, creative people, just amazing, generous people, nice people, selfless people. I mean, there's been some idiots, but for the most part, it's been amazing, awesome people. And if people only kind of knew that and gave that an opportunity. And then I can even think in my own life, how I can look at maybe other aspects of the world where I have stigmatized as well other people, because it happens without you even knowing. And I think just bringing that little bit of awareness to people, no matter how you do it, whether it's the news, whether it's social media, whether it's YouTube, whatever it is, if we can all just kind of agree to let's share some stories, let's talk about the success, let's talk about the positive things. And I think that could really make a huge difference in the world. I think it's tough just because it's it's such a weird situation because what would really help is just everyone could just lean more on their compassionate side. I think that would make a huge, huge difference yeah. because I feel like if you see somebody who's struggling with this kind of stuff, you have no idea what they're going through in a lot of ways, unless you've experienced it yourself. Like you said, it's just a really tough disease. There's a whole lot to manage. It has huge ramifications for a whole lot of things and you have no idea what they're going through. So I feel like if people could just be a little bit more compassionate in just every single thing that they do, that would make everything better for obvious reasons. But that's not how things are going, unfortunately, right now. It seems to be like a little bit less compassionate every single day with the way that things are happening right now. It's, it's scary times indeed. But I feel like that's a simple thing that people can start to do with this specific diagnosis and with the whole language change thing in general is just like be compassionate about somebody who, you, who like even if you don't know anybody who's had this diagnosis of this disease. Which is probably rare. very unlikely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. Yes. Even um, if you didn't. Yeah, yeah. And so like even if you know nobody with that, just have compassion for the people that do just because it's so challenging. It just... And and I feel like just getting to learn their stories, like you said, can make a huge difference too, because you can start to understand and empathize what it is they went through and what that experience might've been like for them. And so everyone's got, you know, their own traumatic pasts in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I think trauma has obviously a huge part to do with all this kind of stuff. But I think the more that we recognize that and the more that we kind of just lean into our compassion, try to be better people, basically, the easier this stuff will be. But there's just, there's so much to change right now that it's just, there's so much. It's that, overwhelming yeah, exactly. sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I think it's important to keep that. Obviously you want your long-term goals, but I think it is important. And I think for the most part, this area, at least Western New York has done it to keep those small steps and just keep moving forward slowly. Yep. Because it's frustrating. And even if you look at the division in this country, you could almost like bet what side of the, you know, the political realm somebody is on what their point of view is on substance. I mean, it's just such a crazy dichotomy. You just... It's yeah, it's, nuts. It's intense right days. now. Mm -hmm. It is. And I mean, I don't even thank God I, I would actually never be able to hold much of a political conversation with somebody because I don't follow it. I don't really watch the news, um, which is probably a gift. I'm very thankful yes, for it, is. <laughs> especially <laughs> nowadays. But yeah. it's just, yeah, it's nuts, man. And I think it, we just need more of just that coming together. Mm -hmm. I think it's super huge. Yep. I think we'll get there. Just, we just have some work to do, clearly. Yeah. Uh, and and just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, I think yeah. that's huge. And yeah. I think, like you said, it's telling stories, being more open about this kind of stuff can make a huge difference. And just remembering that the small changes that you can make day to day really do make those big differences. One of the things that I tell our staff members here too, is just, you know, do what you can with this language change stuff. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird for a, a, probably a while. So just think of what you can do on a day to day basis to kind of implement, you know, that difficult term that you don't necessarily know how to use just yet in a small way. Mm -hmm. So I tell them, you know, it's an easy way to start is just do that in your treatment documentation, your treatment notes. That way, yeah. if you have to go back and delete it because you use the old word or whatever, it's super simple. That way you don't feel super awkward or weird if you're talking to somebody face to face and you know you use uh, addiction or addict or whatever so that's small little things baby steps that we can take every single day just to kind of make this change happen but i think it really does come down to 
like you said, telling those stories and then also using that language in day-to-day life. So it's going to be tough. But I think that once people start to hear that more often, and I think that's one of the big reasons why we're kind of pushing this so strongly in our programs is to really educate the people with a disorder, what they might end up hearing from other providers. And if they start going to medical doctors and the prescribers and those kinds of things, they might hear these kinds of words. We want to prepare people for what, you know, Mm -hmm. this language change is kind of coming down, what it's going to be like, basically. So I think that's helpful too. Just those small changes make a big difference. Yes, they do. That's what it's all about. I think that's the process we need to take with everything in life. Small little baby steps. Very true. Very true. I think those obtainable little goals are important. I mean, that's something so many of us do without even realizing it as well is we put these super high, crazy goals and then we don't (laughs) accomplish it. We're like, I suck. Exactly. (laughs) So having those baby steps and break them down even smaller baby steps, that makes a big difference. I've learned even with myself to do it almost to a point of ignorance. I've just, every little step is laid out for me because it feels good to check off those boxes. All right, I got this done. Yep. I got some. Ed, what's your um what's your story? How'd you get into this this um field? My story is like I'm really passionate about nonprofits actually. So okay. that's where I most of my experiences, I worked for People Inc. back in the day. And then I came to CAS actually as a temp because I had background in photography, graphic design, and web design. Okay. Um, and so like way back in the day, I first started in 2014, they were looking for somebody to overhaul their webpage. And so I kind of came on board and helped them out with that. And then just kind of got on board ever since. So my whole passion is nonprofits. I want to put the skills that I have to use in mm-hmm. a helpful way for society at least, or at least try to. And so I've stuck around just because I think we really do a whole lot of really good work here at CAS. And it's really important to kind of see the change throughout the field the last, you know, I've been around for almost seven years now, and there's just been such a huge shift in this kind of stuff. And it's been really Mm -hmm. exciting to see. I just hope that it makes a bigger difference quicker, just because I said, you know, it's just because COVID happened doesn't mean that the opioid epidemic hasn't gone away. It's gotten worse. It's definitely gotten worse. Yeah. And so I feel like right now we're really pushing really hard to do what we can to kind of bring attention back to that, to kind of show, you know, here there's still a whole lot of danger and a whole lot of crazy stuff happening. So what can we do as a sector and as a field and as an agency, as individual people to kind of make those differences right now? Because there's so much to do. Do you think most of the the challenges come, at least not being able to complete some challenges, come to the fact of not enough finances as far as like, oh, we could hire more people to do this or connect over here or do that? It's, it's, or is it legal? Like, you know, finance are definitely, if if we had an unlimited pot of money, we could, I wouldn't say solve the problem, but it would go pretty far to like making a big difference. That's I think part of it. But the other issue is like, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at a problem. If there's that much stigma, which there is with substance use Mm -hmm. disorders, it doesn't matter how much you throw it. It's never going to solve it completely. So you really have to make a cultural change to kind of really change the way that people think about the issue so they can start accessing help, hope, and treatment and that kind of stuff. And so I think that's what we're hoping to do, I think, as a sector, just to kind of really change the culture locally, statewide, nationwide, and to really help change the perception about this kind of stuff so that we can help to start make that difference happen. And I think that's, like I said, long process, huge, giant goal that's yep, a lot yeah. tougher, I'd say, than just throwing a bunch of money at a problem. But it's culture change, I think, is pretty big. Yeah, I always say, like, the economy and culture is like almost like a living entity in and of itself. You can, you got to try to balance it and move it. And if you go too far one way like you're you're screwed and again we're in very i think in this country especially in a very tough position right now i mean honestly it's like if we can just get out of this kind of at level (laughs) without losing ground i feel like it would be it would be a win yeah, if, if things can just like, plateau for a little bit right yeah, now, that'd be yeah. nice. <laughs> like that that's a win right now because things are bad. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's mental been... health, substance mm-hmm. use. I mean, that ever since COVID. Luckily, I have always been a human being who from a very young age needed a certain amount of alone time every day. I have some very extroversion 
geez, I cannot talk today. What is wrong with me? <laughs> I have a lot of extrovert in me, but you know, it's tiring for me. So I enjoy being alone a little bit and I've been working in my, you know, my house for about two and a half years now. So I'm used to it. I've actually had more people around me, but a lot of people I've known have really been struggling. Yep. And you, we kind of mentioned the gym thing earlier. And you know, one of my good buddies, I remember he called me cause he was just, that was his exercise working out. Yeah. That was his thing, man. And he, he was struggling for a little bit. That's what makes me worried is that there's so many coping mechanisms that I think people thought they had a, you know access to all the time that have just gotten shut that down shut for down. obvious reasons. Yeah. You know, visiting family members you can't really do as easily as you did before. You know, visiting kids, all that kind of stuff if you're in a program, depending on how that's mm-hmm. kind of going. Gym stuff, going out for, you know, to restaurants and things like that. There's just so much happening that the stuff that I think people thought they had access to is all just gone. That's what I think a huge part of the issue is that, you mm-hmm. know, what can you do? And it, yeah, I'm, I'm similar in the sense that I'm pretty introverted. Like my hobbies are walking around in parks. And so that is not changed. Yeah too much yeah. for me uh and reading outside so that's been you know that hasn't changed but for people who are really extroverted it's huge it's a huge challenge for them i think in a lot of ways you're on the same boat as me yep. then <laughs> i feel very blessed to be be okay with sitting down and chilling all day mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> i mean I've, I've enjoyed it just because i feel like again everything's been on pause at least it's my silver lining that i've been able to brush up on so many skills and now when kind of things are now slowly going back to play I can come out with like this many more skills. Cool. Like my skills in like for in graphic design, speaking of which, over the last three or four months are I mean, I couldn't even recognize myself from four months ago. Nice. So it's been like it's been awesome spending all that time in there. I'm jealous because I feel like my illustrator skills are crap and having a couple of weeks just to kind of like really focus in on that would be really, really helpful because yeah. Illustrator is so intense. And a lot of the video editing stuff is also kind of similar in the sense that you really have to spend that time mm-hmm. to train yourself in all these, you know, very overwhelming programs. And if you don't have that capability or capacity, there's just no way to get to it. Yeah, dude, it's been pretty, um, pretty awesome because I've been super into learning all of it. Nice. I, wa- I want, I want the, uh, the six, I think it's the six of them, Premiere Pro, After Effects, Photoshop, Illustrator, and Design, I guess the five. Um, I really want to, I want to at least be above novice, you know, yeah. on all of them where I can get in somewhere and understand what somebody's doing. Because once you learn those main pieces, I guess, of any system, it's easy. It's quick to learn after yeah. a certain point. I was hoping that was going to be the case, but I feel like the video ones for me, I, I've tried a couple of times. I log in, I go, nope. And I tap right out because. Oh, you just got to dive in, right? <laughs> you just got to dive in. Like yep. I looked at After Effects like that forever. <laughs> that was tough. And I was like, all right, you just got to do it. Yep. You yep. just got to do it. Mm-hmm. goes with anything. To relate this to a, a actual relevant point. <laughs> That's what attitude we should be taking with this whole uh, language thing. For True. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think like if you, I think a lot of people can look at it and go like, ah, I'm not sure what the point is or how this is going to change stuff. But I mean, it can just. Because yeah, you don't, you don't realize how powerful a word is. Exactly. You really spend time to think about it. Yep. 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 Like, and to kind of like divest from stuff that focused people and made, in a lot of ways, I think brought out shame in people. Uh, and I think that's a mm-hmm. huge issue too. And I feel like one of the whole things about changing the word specifically like clean time and cleaning and all that kind of stuff is that you don't necessarily recognize that if you start using it again, you might have figured yourself as dirty. And because of that, yeah. you might feel a pretty a huge amount of shame, which means you're not going to go get the help that you need to get better. And so I think that's a, a huge thing that people not, might not necessarily think about with those kinds of words that, you know, yeah. 30 days clean, celebrate that. Absolutely. Have a good time. That's super cool. Congratulations. But also realize what it is that 
you're not saying to yourself in the back of your mind when you're using those kinds of terms. Mm -hmm. So I think that it can have an unconscious effect in a lot of ways too. And I think that people should be a little aware of how that kind of stuff can fall out. But again, make that choice for yourself. If you sat with those words and really kind of thought about it, like you said, and you still want to use them, that's your choice. That's more empowerment to you because you're really taking the time to really think about that for yourself. But just, I think being aware of that and just kind of like really giving yourself the time to process those kinds of things can be helpful. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, really think about it because I mean, the more you think about what language is and then you kind of think about how that has developed that kind of self-awareness, how we can think about thinking. And I mean, so much power has come with that. There's this book I love called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. And he talks about, he says, we're gods with anuses. We have this power to contemplate the past, think about the future, plan for the future, do all these things, but yet we know we're going to die. And so just the fact of language itself can bring such a a heavy thing on when you spend time to really think about the power of it Mm -hmm. and what it can mean when we keep calling somebody junkie or clean time and all of that. I think that's super important. And I think like a lot of it too is lots of people with the disease have pretty negative self-talk and lots of self-esteem issues for obvious reasons. And so I think focusing on that and recognizing recognizing how much of a change it can make in somebody's life just to kind of recognize it as a medical disorder, first of all, and then to kind of change the perception about themselves can help you kind of start to claw your way back up out of, you know, the hole that you might be in mentally and uh, emotionally. So I think, again, just like really thinking about what it is that you're the language that you're using mm-hmm. can make a huge, huge difference. And I feel like it's, we're getting there and there's always going to be the tension with those words that have been around for forever, but it's, you know, a process basically. It is. Yeah. And we got to do it. I yep. think it's, it's up to all of us to kind of whether you're listening to this podcast or whoever you are, it's up to us to really take that upon and just change one word, you know? yep. <laughs> start somewhere and do something. And it's, we need it definitely for sure. Yep. Good. Definitely. But yeah, any, uh, any last words here before we uh, get out of here? I'd say that, you know, the one thing I always try to end this on is the idea that hope is definitely available. If you have any sort of issue right now, especially with substance use stuff, it's scary time. Certainly. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff happening. Obviously 2020 is a dumpster fire for a whole lot of reasons, (laughs) but it's, there is so much out there. There's so much good stuff happening right now and just really focus on not losing hope. It's tough. It's going to be a challenging few years to say the least, but just figure out that one thing that really kind of brings you joy. That kind of like makes you feel better about yourself. And it could be changing this language kind of stuff. It could be figuring out a way to kind of like talk about yourself differently. It could be a different way to kind of perceive yourself differently. And that could help you start to build up a really cool new business, like a podcast or things along those lines. So there's a whole lot of potential opportunities out there for people to kind of take advantage of right now. And I just hope that people don't lose hope because things are stressful, but I think there's a lot of good stuff that can come out of this right now. Yeah. I honestly, I tell people all the time, I just did a fake it till you make it. That's what everybody does. I was in jail (laughs) and I literally, I was like, I can't, I can't keep talking to myself like this. I can't, I can't keep thinking that I'm this kind of human being because I know I'm not. Mm -hmm. Deep down, I know I genuinely want to help people and I, you know, have a very empathetic personality and I'm I'm always kind of just there. So I know deep down I'm not, so I just got to stop. And that's what did. Sometimes I'd catch myself. I might've been in the self-pity. I'm a piece of crap mode for a week. But the important thing is you finally catch yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the amount of time between when you're talking like crap to yourself to when you catch it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And yeah. eventually you start believing it. And eventually you realize it's true. <laughs> that's the that's the even the, the best part of it. You realize, wow, I do actually deserve to be accepted and loved for who I am. Absolutely. Even though you know, I stole from a 13 and 11 year old mm-hmm. <laughs> in my addiction. Yeah, I think that that mindfulness and the awareness is a really big point too. Just like to give yourself the choice and the opportunity to make mistakes with Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. Um, It's never going to be easy, uh, but just allow yourself that 
moment to kind of think about what word that you're going to use or just think about how to talk about yourself differently to yourself. And just like I said, once you start to focus on the a little bit more, the time between the gaps kind of starts to shorten up a little bit and it becomes an easier process once you start practicing it. But like everything else, practice makes perfect. So, yep. Awesome. Ed, where um, can people go to get to CAS recovery and get a hold of whether it's admissions, whether it's groups you guys do? I don't know. What's, um, is that a 30 day place now in North Legion and South Buffalo? No, that's uh, it's rehabilitation. Okay. It's, yeah. it, I changed. It used to be uh halfway. It was house. a community residence. Community residence. Yep, and okay. now it's a rehabilitation program like uh, Turning Point House and Madonna House. Okay. Okay. So those, yeah, we offer all, we offer all residential services. So it's all rehabilitation services, community residences, supportive living, and then some support support housing stuff too throughout the area. But then everything is accessible through our website, which is casanoviarecovery.org. And if you have questions, you want to talk to somebody about getting help or to get help yourself, you can give our intake team a call at 716-852-4331. Cool. And I'll have all that in the description. Perfect. Cool. Ed, thanks so much, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Ron. That was great. All right.